Uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into our reading of Scripture. If you, uh, will, if you will stand for the public reading of God's Word, and we have our designated reader. You have the mic? Thank you. All right, I'm reading from the NIV, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through uh, chapter 4, verse 5. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and, and imposters will go from wor- bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those, uh, you know those whom, whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. All together now? But you You keep keep your your head head in all situations, situations, endure hardship, do, do the, the work, work of an evangelist, evangelist discharge all the duties of your, of your ministry. ministry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for gathering us here on this wonderful, beautiful Sunday. As the weather is getting sunnier and warmer, um, we ask that each and every time um, that we gather together, that we would recognize that it is your kindness, your kindness of, of greeting us with your arms open receive us into your salvation. We ask that you would open our eyes to Scripture. And as we look at ourselves through Scripture, that you would would shine that mirror in us, in our hearts, so that we could see ourselves clearly, so that we would not be uh, counted among those who are deceiving and deceived. May the preacher speak your truth with power, and may all the people that hear be able to receive gladly. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And the people of God responded, amen. You may be seated. Good day, brothers and sisters. Uh, today we'll be hearing our message, but uh, we're going to ask the following question. So keep this question in the back of your mind. Is it possible to get saved without a knowledge of the Bible? Is it possible to get saved without a knowledge of the Bible? That's what I want you guys to think in the back of your mind. Keep that question in mind as you hear the message. It is something that I want you guys to discuss, um, discuss among yourselves in, during your house church meetings coming this Friday. Uh, this is a question that may, you, have, you may have asked for yourselves, maybe. You know? Do I really need to know the Bible from the beginning till the end to receive salvation? Or this is a question that you may be asked by other people. People might ask, do you really, really need to know, you know the 1,098 chapters of the Bible? 
I want you to be able to give the others a cogent answers that will lead your hearers to the truth. And it is a tricky question. It's one of those proverbial chicken or the egg questions. How do I even know that I need salvation? That's the question. People don't come to this realization until this is revealed to them. It can come to you intuitively, apart from the Bible, by the Spirit of God. If you remember the tale of the two sons, the, the, the prodigal son, the second son, he went far away after receiving the inheritance from his father, and then, after squandering all his wealth, when he finally came to his destitute state while he was trying to uh, feed the pigs, he was actually tempted to eat the, the pig's food. That's when he came to his senses and he thought to himself, oh geez, if I was back with my father, when I was back with my father, my servant, his servants used to eat better than this. And so maybe he will hire me back, maybe I'll turn back and he'll receive me as a servant. And that's when he has a clicking moment, he needs to go back to, to the father. Um, and uh, faith does come by hearing, so the word is very, very important, but I'm a firm believer that God is already doing something among the people. In my own experience, I did not know the Bible for me to come to Jesus. I mean, to know the, the Bible, it, it made it more clear who Jesus is, but when I first entered the doors to the church, I had no idea what that was, right? So the ignorance, in part, is not something that will keep you away from, the, uh, from, from salvation. It can look like hardship sometimes when God works through your lives. It can be hardships. You know, maybe like uh, uh, you, your dad and your whole family was intact with a good job and secure income, and all of a sudden some difficulties happen, and when it rains, it pours. Everybody now on the alert, you guys are thinking, oh, geez, you know, what kind of call is this? Why is my attention being called? Where is, where is this disruption coming from? Now, in a global level, we had the pandemic going on, which raised the alert. All, all the different countries all over, the, all over the world, people are thinking about their mortality. And, uh, and naturally, this is something that brings to the question, you know, how long is my life here? And what, is there something afterwards? It can also be like a traumatic experience that people have to go through when a person comes face to face with the impossibility of this life. Life here is very, very difficult. And it's a, it's a surprise to me that people without faith are able to just kind of go along with it. But the life that God calls for, the life that God had, had died for, Jesus had died for us, is not to be lived the way they do out there. We come to realize, oh, I need to be saved. I do need to be saved. How do I get saved is a question that we start to ask. And then this is something that can only come from a certain desperation. I don't know if it ever comes to a place where you're desperate, you know, because there was no security in your, in your soul. Your spirit was wandering, right? When you come to the realization that you cannot control and contain everything in your life, you can have a certain measure of success in trying to have a scaffolding. You could have some procedures in line to try to... Try to uh, uh, Safeguard against some unnecessary risks, yes. But in life, you cannot control everything. And you cannot insist and demand that you control everything. There are just too many things, too many variables outside of your control. That is why we need salvation. If we didn't need salvation apart from ourselves, we would try to do it ourselves. We can't do it. We come to the realization, oh, shoot. 
you come to a certain age and you realize that more and more we can't do it. I can't be saved. So I need an outside, outside intervention. Now back to the issue. The issue of how do people come to realize that they need to be saved. In the Bible, it's stated pretty plainly. In Acts chapter 4, we went through the whole study of Acts together, right? Peter says, Jesus is the stone your builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The premise is right there in the statement that he makes. We must be saved. Not only must we be saved, we must be saved by a special, special name, a unique name, uh, the only name by which we must be saved is Jesus Christ. In the same book, in the book of Acts, chapter 16, when Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, they were doing this missionary journey, right? And there was a young girl who, was a, who had a demon. It was a, a spirit that was fortune-telling. So they cast this demon out, and after they cast it out, the owner of this slave girl, they lost any chance of making any personal income from this girl, so... They were very angry. They flogged uh, Paul and Silas for doing so, and then they had him imprisoned. And during the midnight, while they were singing and, and praising God, uh, praising him to God, uh, and other prisoners were listening, there was an earthquake that shook the whole place, and the doors opened, the shackles were loosened. And, uh, and thinking that all the prisoners had just abandoned the place, the jailer who was in charge of keeping the watch over the night he was about to take his own life with a sword. And that's when Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all in here. And then the jailer comes trembling and asks Silas and Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul and Silas, they give uniformly the answer, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Brothers and sisters, our this jailer did not know the Bible. This jailer did not know the Bible at the time of, his, of this revelation, of this fact. But right away when they heard the message, he invited Paul and Silas into his house, dressed their wounds after they had been flogged, and they prepared, he prepared for them food, and they talked into the night about this stuff from Scripture. Basically, who Jesus Christ is was expounded to him exclusively in that meeting by Paul and Silas themselves, and they received salvation in that night. Did, did this jailer know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? No. He did not. In fact, Revelation wasn't even written at the time of this incident, right? So, I will begin today's message with the preliminary assumption that a knowledge of the Bible is not necessary to enter into salvation. You do not need to know the Bible to enter into salvation. Jesus is self-existing, as if our knowledge depend, as if his, his existence would, de would be dependent on my knowledge of, of the Scripture? No. Whether I know Scripture or not, whether that person has never read Scripture in her life or not, Jesus is self-existent no matter what. And guess what? He's acting. He's acting in history. He's acting in the universe. He's, he's, he's relating with us. He's appearing to people in the middle of, in the, middle of the night in dreams, Right? So he's drawing us near, but he himself is, he's, he can exist independently apart from the Bible and he's able to do his things. Now, having said that, how do we recognize that this is Jesus? This is where scripture comes in and we need it for our dear lives. 
Uh, take a look at how Paul recalls Timothy's personal knowledge of Paul's sufferings in their relationships. This is what our, our scripture starts this way, our text starts this way. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, patience love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And this leads us to the first point of today's message. This is the litmus test of whether your faith is the real deal or not. It's not how excellent you are in Bible trivia, but how much you are willing to suffer for it. You may know this much. Out of this much of the Bible, you may know this much. We have a shepherd that, that has a goal. At the end of this year, he wants to have, I think, New Testament read cover to cover, which is good. I, I would challenge him to do the whole Bible, but, but it's good. It's very good that you have that goal. I, I, I allowed you for it. But it's not about how much we know of the Bible, how much information that we have that authenticates our faith. It's how much we're actually live, willing to live in that way, the little that we know of the Bible, that we're willing to actually suffer for it, actually willing to take a personal loss for it. And this is the credential that Paul carries among everyone who knew him. You know, in the church, there are people, some people, I mean, thank God in our ESC, none of us are like that, but there are some people in the church that are quite a bit talkers, give a lot of lip service, talk about how wonderful God is, and they, they praise, empty praises all day long. When it comes to their actual commitment with Jesus, they're not e even willing to lift a finger. They don't want to make that sacrifice. They calculate their own boundaries, and they only obey insofar as it is convenient to them. Now, if you call that, could you call that really obedience? Absolutely not. Categorically, that's deniable as true and genuine obedience. Our authenticity of faith comes through persecutions and sufferings and hardships that we're willing to mount, you know, because of our love for, the, uh, for Jesus Christ. Um, I, I promise not to do this that much anymore in the future. I keep referring back to New Life Fellowship. It is the dream, the vision that I have. I would love this church to become like New Life Fellowship one day. They have a shirt that has emblazoned three words. Three words, give, suffer, and die at new life. To give for the, to the Lord at this place, being faithful at this place. To suffer for the truth of God. To suffer ridicule, to suffer ostracism. To suffer disagreements, profound disagreements that end up in long, long quarrels, right? Even those things, you suffer for them because you're not willing to just take it laying down. You're not trying to, you're not trying to take the easy route you're trying to take the rigorous route. You're trying, to, you're trying to do the hard thing because the truth matters. Because your love for the Lord and uh, the love of Christ compels you. Look at what Paul, how he seals this idea with, by these words. Verse, 13, verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does he say some Christians will be persecuted? Does he say only the specific chosen few, the missionaries, will be persecuted? Does he say that? No. He actually lays it down as a singular kind of a, like an acceptable thing that we should probably memorize. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We want to toughen our skins, brothers and sisters. We want to be able to say, I will take your persecution. No matter what, who it comes from, I'll take it because I can handle it. The truth of God is in me and the one who is in me is much greater than the one who is outside. 
Look at what verse 13 says. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the part that breaks my heart because there are people in Christendom, in the wide, in the wide angle view of more than 4 billion adherents to our faith, that think they're believers, but they're not. False conversion. Now, I want you to understand that persecution and suffering here is not talking about uh, the chastening that we get because of a wrongdoing. Remember, we're, we're born again. We're removed from the domain of sin now into the domain of eternal life. But sometimes when we do something wrong, when we, when we commit a sin, to have a, wrong, to have a punishment according to the, that fits the crime, that is the cha- divine chastening of God. And it is to be, you, are, you, to, you are to be grateful that it has come. In fact, if you are doing the wrong thing all your life, if you're just you know, copying an attitude all your life and nobody really interferes in your way of doing things, nobody has ever put you on the reins and tried to stop you, then you should be worried because that means that for whatever reasons, you're just left to your own devices, allowed to go your own way in your own I'm talking about the things that happen to you when you do not have done anything wrong before God's standard. Not your personal standard, but God's standard. You haven't done anything wrong before God's standard. How would you be able to know what that standard is if you don't know the Bible? We begin to judge each other by, according to our personal preferences and arbitrary rules that we set up, and then we think that we mistakenly think that it's the, it's the Word of God or some kind of principle that we draw from them. No. That's not how it is. It is by the word of God and the way we come into a, a, a kind of a accord, a unified agreement in the, in the time-tested, long, historical hermeneutic of how, how the church has seen these passages, how the, how the forefathers of our time have interpreted these passages, and they come to us now. So when we're reading it together, the light bulb goes on, and we're able to see with crystal clarity the person of God and his heart and his perfect intention for each and every one of us. There needs to be no room for doubt in that. And when you believe God in that way, you're able to suffer persecution, endure hardship. You're able to go the extra mile, so to speak. So to speak. Remember what Jesus says? If they come to you and demand that you walk a mile with them, go another mile. It is the Word of God. And even more importantly than that, the Bible is useful. It's useful. The Christian that does not use the Bible are going to be used by the world. Insofar as you come to know His holy standard by which to discipline ourselves. How do we discipline ourselves? It's by the Holy Scripture. A lot of times we make the mistake of using the Bible to, to condemn the other person. Why aren't you more like this, we say. But man, when we do our quiet times, you guys, in Zoom, if you guys are, if you guys are, geez, I mean, if you're really with me, I would love to see your faces on camera. I would really love to see that I'm not just speaking to people that may be away from their cameras doing something else. Because you're able to see my face. I would love to see yours too. Verse 13 is an especially helpful way to seal this idea that evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
When you don't have the truth of God, you think that the, the truth that you make up is the truth. And you want, to, you, want to pull your, you want to organize and order their lives around the people, other people, according to your premises. That is a sin. That is a sin. It is a terrifying pattern for those who may witness it from the outside. If you know somebody that's, that's doing this, and you, you have to be able to withstand it. They do the evil thing, but they do not recognize it. They do not. They persecute the righteous, and they justify that persecution in their self-deception. I pray with all my heart that none of us here at NBC would fall into that trap. Amen? Amen? Now, this is a case in point. When you open up the scripture, the example is right there, right in there. It's the Pharisees and the scribes, the so-called teachers of the law. They knew scripture. They knew, you know what script, scribes were? Scribes are the people that would, that would make copies of the, 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 the you know, Bible. If you have an original copy, you would make another copy, right? I mean, these were like very heralded people. When a scribe would pass by, people would stand up and, and alert because of, of the, the respect they commanded from their, from their vocation, Right? They understood the procedures of their ceremonial law. They thought of themselves as champions of the moral law. They were administrators of the civil law. In all respects, they were, they were, they were law, lawyers that they knew their stuff. And yet, their knowledge of Scripture, which did not differ much from Paul's, came up short as far as their salvation. They did not recognize Jesus Christ as he was walking among them. And they re recognized him. How did they recognize him? As a target for the persecution and ultimately crucifixion. You can know the Bible and re be reading it completely differently. Completely the wrong way to the point where you cannot receive the salvation. So the irony of the gospel is, in fact, that the very knowledgeable, that the very people that are knowledgeable uh, were those who in the end conspired to kill Jesus on the cross. So to clarify the matter, your knowledge of Scripture alone in itself cannot save you. It cannot save you. You know, in the, in the Reformation, in the Protestant Reformation, there's a, the sola sayings. Sola fide. Sola gracia. Soli deo, soli deo gloria, right? Sola fide means in faith alone. There's also another sola, sola scriptura, in scripture alone, right? Scripture is not alone by itself. Scripture alone is, is not adding other things, but you have to have faith that, that goes along with it. You have to have the grace to be able to even understand how this is relevant to my living and to my inner life, my spiritual life. And there's another example. Uh, there's a Bible scholar by the name of Bart Ehrman. I mean, this man is a Bible scholar. He's been studying for decades and researching from original manuscripts. He, know, he, he knew the Bible really, really well. But he came to a point that he had lost his faith. And he departed from it. And now his theological position is like an atheist agnostic. Pretty sure that God doesn't exist. That's, that's his conclusion after reading the Bible. So um, this is, a, this is, this is a, a, the case that I, I present before you, that the knowledge of the Bible is not enough. Knowledge of the Bible alone in itself is not salvific. But if that's the case, why do we burden ourselves with this antiquated religious book when it is not absolutely necessary for our salvation and one can know it and still not be saved? Why do we bother with it? And here's why. 
leading to the second point of today's message, is that Scripture has authority in regards to your life and faith. Scripture is the authority to your life and faith. It is a unique reference. It's the only window, if you will, into the heart of God. If you have not really read through the Bible, you can't really say that you know God. You can't. If you've been to church and you've not read the Bible cover to cover, like if you've been to church for 10 years, 20 years, and you have not at least done, a, done a, like a once-over of the whole Bible, then you can't, you, can't, uh, pl- you can't truly accurately see every verse in, in the tension in the context of the whole, right? If you really l- want to know God, if you really say you love Jesus and you don't want this to be an empty confession, internalize it. Internalize the scripture. Pick the ones that sound easy and then go with those first, you know? Make it yours. Make it a pattern, pattern of your living. You know when we say that Jesus became flesh among us? He became incarnate, right? The Logos, the principle of the universe that created everything, he became man and he came and walked among us And when he walked among us that way, that was a display of what it was supposed to be, to bear the image of God. Jesus showed us. Jesus showed us. And I got to tell you this this afternoon, brothers and sisters, we fall pretty far short. We fall short of that. Authority of Scripture. Authority of Scripture. The only way we're able to know God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is through Scripture. Scripture. Other things, other things apart from that is dubious. My personal experience, I have experiences of God. I do. Compelling experiences. But I cannot trump, I cannot have my personal experience trump the knowledge of Scripture. Look at verse, what verse 14 says, in, Paul says in verse, verse 14 to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from, because you know those from whom you heard, because you know those from whom you've learned it. Basically, he knows the origin. Where did he learn it from? It must be from Paul, right? During the time of Paul, they did not have the New Testament like we do now. We're very, very fortunate because we have both testaments of the canon. Most of the faith was clinging to revelations about the Old Testament in light of the risen Jesus Christ. Also informed by the Holy Spirit going on live. Since we're, since we're live broadcasting this, this, this message, right? As it was going on. You remember me telling you that faith is transmitted through, through true relationships, right? Here is well, Paul, where Paul is defining the line for what is correct teaching. The correct teaching that Timothy knows as he's an older person now. Last time I told you, almost in his 40s. It came from Paul, the most trustworthy source in regards to the knowledge of God and of Jesus since he was a little boy, an infant. In Timothy's case, not only did he receive the most excellent Bible studies from his tutor and mentor, Paul, he knew the Holy Scripture since his infancy, since he was little. I, I, I think I recognize some of you guys here. As I w- we were cleaning up, we were cleaning up, right? Uh, Saturday was a cleanup day for the whole church. And uh, next to my office, there's like a storage room. And uh, I was looking in the cabinets, and I saw little folders with your names on it. I think I found Priscilla's. Eunice, like when you guys were like in grade school, first grade, second grade, third grade, I'm going, wow, <laughs> that's, you, have, you have like a history in the church, and uh, that, is to, that is to mean, that is to say that you have, 
you have started in your knowledge of Scripture in the training when you were young. When you were young. The Holy Scripture, it, it, it stands very tall and so central to the life that we live. And, uh, and this is the, the compelling reason why we adhere to the Bible as stated by Paul. The Holy Scripture, scriptures which is able to, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is, the, this is the thing, okay? It is possible to be saved without the knowledge of the Bible, but the Bible is useful to make you wise for salvation. We sometimes make the mistake that salvation is this one-time deal where we come into the accord, where we say, we decided one day I, live, I give my life to Jesus. But if Jesus has actually entered into your heart, and if you have, if you have given Him your allegiance, then he's, he's the one that deals with you. He's the one that deals with you, deals with us in our obediences. He deals with us in our disobediences. I mean, we don't want to test him. We don't want to experiment with this. But if we go out of line, he lets us know. Does he not? He does, right? He lets us know. And be glad when he lets us know because that means that he really, really loves you. He really, really loves you. He's not willing to just let you go. He's not willing to let, let you, willing to just flick you Flick you away like an annoying fly. No, he's willing to draw you in completely to himself. Completely to himself until we're completely cleansed and we become the purified, purified bride of Christ. Think about that. Uh, when it comes to the Holy Scriptures, there are groups of people who have too high of a view. So high of a view, Scripture, so high that it's just an irrelevant religious exercise. Right? I read it. I read it, so that's good enough. I read it for about half an hour today, so I'm good. And then in my compartmentalized way of living my life, I did my religious thing for the rest of the day, I'm good. There are people that think that way. Or perhaps because it's so high, we just say, well, the Bible is just telling us who God is. He's holy. He's holy. It's just information about how holy He is and to show us how we're sinners. That's what the Bible is. If you leave it at that, how can a person that reads the Bible grow from that? It's kind of like a fatalistic, impossible t task. We just go, oh, well, you know, it's just, that's too high of a view. On the other hand, I mean, that's a good starting point. God is holy, we're sinners. That's a good place to start. But as, a, as we grow in the faith, we got to be able to look at the Bible more and more eye to eye, more clearly, more objectively, and to be able to use it as a standard to actually implement it into our lives and to use it as a practical tool and guide. I don't know if Bible-believing uh, church, Bible churches have failed to do that at one point or another. There are many, many churches that are not doing it, surprisingly. And so after 20, 30 years of attending church, we get cases where we, we have to question, was that a false conversion? Was that brother or sister actually from, of, of Christ? Or were they just designing their own kingdom and then, and then using religion to suit their own purposes? Now, there are the other people that have the way too low view. The view is like way down here, right? I mean, they bring in all kinds of their academic learnedness. They, they talk about feminism and think about LGBTQ agenda and then try to interpret parts of the Bible according to their agenda. And they distort the passages. They try to make the, the passages suit their own thoughts and ideologies. 
So even, even before the word of truth goes into the mind, there's layers of these filters that will not allow the reader to ascertain of its objective truth. What a tragedy. What a tragedy when a person is poring over the hours of reading, but because of their own personal, his or her personal biases, and because of their unwillingness to disciple themselves before the living God, they are distorting the truth and becoming more and more alienated away from it. The people that are deceiving others and getting deceived themselves, this is what they're talking about. This is what Paul's talking about. Now, to be fair, to be fair for younger believers, when I was a new believer, I used to do this. I had a bunch of worldly assumptions. I came in with a bunch of worldly assumptions. I thought I knew something. I thought that I had some training in like my, my background, and I would try to read and interpret the Bible my own way. And I remember thinking that I was right and they were wrong. That's what I was, th- I was thinking in the beginning, you know, which is why the Bible, which is why Paul says, you know, let, let the leadership not be a new convert. Let them be seasoned a little bit, walk with the Lord, and learn, learn some humility before they're able to uh, be useful for the master. We are living in the, in the postmodern era. Some people call it post-postmodern era where people are actually denying the existence of an absolute truth, especially if we're talking about more absolute moral truth. This is what you're going to be hearing all the time. People are going to say, well, that's your morality. I have different sets of morality. According to my own sets of morals, I'm a good guy. Well, that's very easy to say in a construct where you don't have God. Later on, they don't know this, but later on when they have to deal with God later, God, it's God's standard by which we, everybody falls short. Every single person here falls short, which is why we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Look at what Jesus himself says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The solar system and the galaxy that we're living in right now, it's unstable at that. It looks stable. It's been here. People are saying, surmising for billions of years. Billions of years. Maybe trillions of years it's been in existence, right? I mean, we dare make you know, propositional statements like that when we don't really know, right? But what Jesus says is, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Jesus also said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, which is referring to the Old Testament. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So some Christians think, well, since we're in the New Testament era, you know, era of the Holy Spirit, I just need to know the New Testament, right? But no. Remember, when we talk about Jesus Christ, the reference to, to Jesus, it was all being made already in the Old Testament, pointing towards Jesus. So you want to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is, look to the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. While at the first point I I did lead in with this notion that you can know the the Bible and yet not have salvation, and that it, it is possible to be led into salvation without prior knowledge of it, it is essential for the believer to know it for what it is. To know the scripture for what it is, is the word of God. It's the only unique reference that we have. The only thing available to us in our human intellectual faculties that actually has a clear and accurate reference to the living God. All other religions will mislead you and try veer you off, whereas the scripture has an has a ability, a capacity to, 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 to focus your spiritual... Have you ever experienced this? If you start with scripture a day, 
like the scatteredness and that distraction is, is, is far, far less. Exper I want you to do that experiment this, this week. Open up scripture every morning. The first thing in the morning, open up scripture. Now, the habit that I got into doing is I do the quiet time and I select the passage of verse and I post it on Facebook. That's become my habit every day. You know why? Because when I don't do that, I didn't start with the word of God. I started with something else and then like the whole day is just shot to just an unproductive, a frustrating day of just, you know, wrestling with other things. But when you start with the word of God, you realize that it was God who has given you this day. Because God has given us this day, it is precious. Amen? Hallelujah. It is essential. It is, a, uh, it is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. But if you want to know who Jesus is, the real Jesus, you have to know your scripture. In the beginning, there was a word, right? And the word was with God and word was God. Whenever we open the Bible, guess who you're meeting in that meeting time, in your date? That's your meeting with God. You're meeting with God. I mean, that's, that's huge, you know? Like when Moses had encountered God in the burning bush, it's almost equal to that when you're, every time you're opening the Bible. And, and I pray that each and every one of you will have some kind of a supernatural experience. When you're reading Scripture, you're not just reading man's word. You're reading something that, as Paul says here, something that was inspired divinely by the same person who has created the whole universe and this earth as we know it in all the beauty and the majesty, that person has inspired the men, the hearts of men to write the scripture. And so when you're reading the words, it comes to you as sweetly, as comes to you as, as so relevant to you, who you are. You know why? Because you belong to him, that's why. Because you are a spiritual person, that's why. There was a time when I would read it, I go, it doesn't really make much sense. I had no idea, no clue. But the Spirit of God touched me. And I received the Lord, and, and then from that moment on, the eyes opened up, and every single word becomes relevant. Every single word becomes empowering and convicting as well. It convicts me. Charlie, did you, did you do it according to what this says? Lord, I failed you again. I failed you again. But I know that I trust, I trust that you will provide for me the ability to do it, to be able to carry out your will in the way that's pleasing to you, not me. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. It's essential. And I don't, know how, I don't know how it's possible that Christians have been able to bypass that discipleship and come after years and years and almost decades not come to this realization that we are not the masters of this universe. As I was mentioning, the second reason why the Bible is essential in salvation as well as in sanctification. Salvation is is, you know, sanctification is the continuation of salvation. Salvation is you repenting away from the world and now looking to God. Sanctification is, as the time goes by, you're bearing fruit in the repentance. Bearing fruit in the repentance. And your life is actually showing for the faith that you profess. And the people are attracted by the life that you're living in the relationship with God and others. And they want, I, I, I want to sign up. I want to live the way you're living in your, in your principled way, in your integrity to Scripture. I want that. That's, that's what we're looking at right now. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Not self-righteousness, but divine righteousness. Self-righteousness won't get you very far. That's the limit. That's the cap 
on who you are, and you'll never grow out of that. But who, where, where are we going? We're going to eternal life. If we're going to eternal life, who is our highest model? Jesus Christ is our model. So even after I die, I mean, it's not going to be over then. It's going to continue on and on and on. We get closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you think, uh, you know, I don't mind being useless in the kingdom of God. How many of you think that way? Oh my gosh. If that, ever, that, that thought ever enters your mind, I want you to come and knocking on my door in the middle of the night. Because that's, that's not good. You want to be useful by all costs, by all measures. And I, I, I even use the word Machiavellian. That's like a, not a good word to be associated with the kingdom of God. But by all means necessary, you want to be useful in the kingdom of God for every good work. And scripture, scripture is useful. It has authority to straighten out our ways of thinking. We think there's a, there's a way that seems right to us. But God's ways are different, right? Our ways of thinking, our relationships, and our lives. Being equipped for every good work means to know Scripture well and to know the true Jesus as He Himself knows you so that your works will indeed be good, not only appearing to be good. What does it mean that all Scripture is God-breathed? That it is inspired by God Himself, the makers of the heavens and the earth. How can we know God without knowing, the, knowing what the Bible says? Without knowing His Word? How would we know His heart is intention? How would, how would we know that God is love? How would we know the Gospel? How would we know that uh, Jesus died for us and our sins? How can we assume to know that the spirit with which we commune with is not just a figment of our own imagination tangled up in our own fleshly, wishful thinking. The Holy Spirit may ask you to do, to do some difficult things that's, that stands contrary against what you think. That's when you know. That's when you know, oh, that's God and not me. That's when you want to obey Scripture usually divides between those who have the same Spirit of God within versus who may read it only in the flesh. There are people that read the Bible and they know it, but they have not submitted themselves to the Word of God. They have not submitted to Christ yet. So it's still arguments going on. That's what Paul's talking about whenever this is there are other people that are deceiving themselves, you know, being deceived. They just they continue to argue with God, which is, uh, I, I don't understand how that happens. The audacity. But then again, you know, jogging my memory back, when you're immature, when you don't know, when you think you know, yes, of course it is possible. It's possible, right? This distinction, brothers and sisters, between having the Spirit of God while you're reading the Scripture and then just reading through the flesh, being like divided that way, that's the difference between salvific knowledge of the person of God and trivia that amounts to just information. May it be that every time you open the Bible that you get that salvific good stuff. In fact, do, a, do an experiment where in one week you just say, I'm not going to stop reading until I'm hit by something where the word just leaps out from the text and just goes into my heart and, is, and, and I can feel the new life brimming from within. There's a joy that wasn't there before. May your meditations, may your quiet times every day be fruitful in that way, not just empty routine where you just go, oh, I read that. I think I have the committed to memory, 
but it's now far from your heart. Don't let that happen to you guys. My call is to preach the word of God in and out of season, just like uh, Paul is telling uh, Timothy. Just this morning, Pastor James, our youth pastor, he got a flat tire. He lives out, like, out there in Ontario. That's like about an hour away. His commute on a good Sunday is about a full hour. And uh, he was driving down, and he got a flat tire. He had to put on a spare tire, return back to his house, and get another car and drive back. And so I, need to, I needed to cover for him, like, because just in case he doesn't make it in time. It's a hectic morning. There are mornings when some things like that happen, but we ought to be prepared to be able to preach. Now, this is not only a call for the, 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 the clergy, the, the preachers that went to seminary, all of you guys from within our group, from NBC, if you want, if you feel like in your heart that God has given you the, the, the desire and the, and the gift to, to preach the word to, to those who don't believe, man, don't let anybody stop you. In fact, come to me and I'll equip you so that you could do well. It's not about just the clergy that had gone to seminary. This church is about empowering you guys, empowering the lay people, the regular members that are dedicated to Christ, that love Jesus, that you want to play a part of being the hands and the feet and maybe in the mouthpiece. I'm not the only mouthpiece in here, brothers and sisters. There are some times, uh, some mornings, where I question, oh man, can I do this? Can I do it this morning? Can I? Some things happen. Something blows up in your face, in some, something unplanned, and then you just go, can I, can I do this? Lord, can I? How can I preach right now without being a hypocrite? There are days like that. But the calling is such that I have to. I have to preach. I have to preach it. And I have to preach it true. It runs the risk of, of entering into that place where I myself am not able to, to you know, uh, live, up, live out the standards that I preach. But so be it. So be, I, have to, I have to adhere to the truth. And uh, while nobody else is looking, while God is looking... I have to try my best, try my best to adhere to the teaching of God. Because the third point is this, Scripture and our salvation, they're importantly linked because it has to do with the accessibility of sound doctrine. As you already know, there are false teachings that are going out there. Last time I picked on the Mormons, today I'll pick on the Jehovah's Witnesses. These two are known as the restorationist movements in the North America. Right? It's a new invention that happened in the last, I don't know, couple centuries. Right? The Jehovah's Witnesses, they have their own Bible. It's called the New World Version. And uh, somebody, some of the, their scholars have gone into it, and they have actually translated the text from the Greek, and they had their own agenda. They don't have the correct Jesus. They have another, another Jesus Christ. Right? They don't have Jesus who was there at the same status, in the same... Uh, as, as the same level as God the Father, they have Jesus as a created being, same as the Mormons do. Now, do you think that the Jesus that they propound, that, that they preach and teach is going to be salvific? It's very, very, on the surface, it looks, it looks very, very shiny and new and very efficient. If you ever, do you guys know any Jehovah's Witnesses by chance? Any friends or any, any no acquaintances? Have you ever had a visit from them? They dress very nice and then they come and knock on your door. And they give you a little like a track. They do this like militantly, with the precision and the efficacy. They do it well. I'm thinking, man, if we did that, right? But you look at the the message and you, and then you dig a little bit into the doctrine. 
They're not even preaching the same Jesus, Jesus that we do that can actually save. It's something entirely different. And in the end, it's about having your fingers crossed that you will be saved, right? Accessibility of sound doctrine. Nowadays, the internet is flooded with so many good preachers. There's a thing called the Gospel Coalition where famous pastors that are successful that have actually organized by theme, by all the things that we go through in our lives and from Scripture and from the, from the, uh, the agreement among, from amongst their peers, they come with the, with the material that can be so useful in our daily growth in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, I want you to be aware that even in the church, there are some outside issues, some minor issues that dis- you disagree with. We disagree with certain things. There are some traditions that emphasize one point, some other tra- traditions that emphasize another. But in the truth of God, in the supremacy of Scripture and of Jesus Christ, there is no negotiations. We don't mess around with the contents of the Bible. And if uh, there's a young brother who out of his own, I mean, sincerely just reading the scripture and understands it this way, but it's wrong. A brother that knows it from what, it, what will be the, the rule of faith got to be able to gently bring him back and say, yeah, but that's not what this means. In context of this, it means that. Just by context, you can have it flipped totally differently. Just by what kind of an agenda you carry a priori, it's, it's, going, it's, going, to, it's going to change the way you read the Bible and then it will be misleading which is why we need, the, we need the, uh, the community. We need the community of faith to check each other in our, in our error, right? And we need the community of, of the faith so that when we're living out something the wrong way, another person, an arbitrator from the third party, can, can, can be able to point that out in a helpful and a loving way, right? So, I want you guys to ask the question. I want it to be a live discussion for this Friday. Is it necessary? How high does it rank when it comes to our own salvation, salvation of a community? How high does the Bible rank in its importance? Is it necessary absolutely to get my feet in the door? It wasn't. It wasn't. But once I got my feet in the door, it is scriptures that gave me the knowledge of Christ the very person that I pray in the name of today, the God, the Father that I pray to every morning when I'm praying for you guys and us, right? It comes from Scripture. That's, that's how you can be assured and you can feel secure about it. And when you yourself are praying to God, who, do you know who you're praying to? Right? Let the Scripture guide you in your spiritual life. Not the popular culture, not the people who have the most likes on YouTube. It's Scripture that will guide you in the end. And it's Scripture that will be able to give you wisdom to make you wise to salvation. Not only for yourself, but for those who are, who are others. Right? In our loving God, in our loving our neighbor, there is a requirement. What does the love of God look like? In our loving our neighbor, what does a love look like? We found it described in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. So, we're going to go into prayer now, and we're going to conclude the message. But I want to impress upon you that uh, last year as a church, I don't know if, if you remember, I used to kind of uh, send you emails on this, but uh, we're doing a uh, Bible transcription. Reading the Bible is very good, you know. 
um, reading the Bible aloud slowly, that's even better. But uh, it has been said that if you really want to meditate with some depth and you want to do it slowly for all the details, if you want to paint the picture, the scenario in your mind, you write it out. You write it out. And this has been provided for you. I made it for you, for you to take home. And during Holy Week, during Passion Week, I want you to trace the footsteps of Jesus. I want you to put yourself in his place. I want you to put yourself in the place of a witness who's, exam who's seeing, witnessing all of this in, in your mind, in your heart, firsthand. How do you, how, how, do, how do the words stir you? How do the words lead you closer to him? Because that will make a big difference in how that week went. And once, once Easter comes, the celebration, will, you'll know why we celebrate the way we do. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Dear precious Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, uh, I, I, I am the first to, to, to confess before your, your good uh, brothers and sisters, your, your children, that uh, it is by Scripture that I am here. It is by Scripture and your grace that I'm able to even call you uh, my Father, our Father. Lord, it is through, through the Scripture that I was able to um, come to know Christ better. And Lord, uh, it's so indispensable. And it's just like the psalmist said, Lord, your word is, is food for my soul. It's a lamp to my feet. Light for my path. We ask, Lord, that we would fuel each other's um, love for Scripture, that we would, Lord, continue to build on that fire, and that, that we would warm ourselves, our souls, huddle around that fire that we see in your Scripture, the fire that, that burns but does not consume. And we come to you, Lord, wanting to authenticate our faith in the persecution and the sufferings that we're willing to take for your truth, and we trust the authority of Scripture for all the things that we do in our lives in this church. And Lord, we, we are grateful that we're coming to a church that has, that imparts upon its believers sound doctrine so that they will not be misled, but be led towards the path of your cross and therefore your resurrection and eternal life. May all the people that have heard this message be encouraged today. And may the people that don't know your truth come into your light through our existence and our works, through what you do to us and th through us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray these things. Amen. Now at this time we have a time of praise and response. <laughs>